Good morning, everybody. This is Jane Cormier, your host for Art for Living here on WKXL, New Hampshire, talkradio.com. And uh, we are thrilled to have a wonderful show for you today. WKXL 1450 AM, 103.9 FM Concord, and of course, our new tower, 101.9 FM in Manchester. Um, so, my goodness, we have a return guest today, and uh, it's going to be a thrill to introduce him to you. But first, I must do my shout out to Good Life. Good Life Programs and Activities is a 50 plus health and wellness center right here in Concord, and they offer low cost or free exercise and art classes, as well as trips, socials, and educational seminars. Visit www.goodlifenh.org, or you can visit them at the Smokestack Center, 254 North North State Street in Concord. And of course, you guys all know they're here every month with us for a program. And I believe I just saw a, a bulletin come out or an email come out saying that they have some new free classes for you to look up and enjoy. And so uh, there's nothing better than free. And we know that Good Life does a fabulous product, that their programs are first rate. So make sure you contact them. Take a look at their website, goodlifenh.org, and see what they might have for you. All righty. So here we are. We're on Artful Living, and it's going to be opera today. Opera education, which is always kind of like my candy shop. That's my candy shop topic. Um, And I'm thrilled to say that we have Josh Collier here once more from Barn Opera in Vermont. So welcome, Josh. Thank you so much, Jane. Thank you for having me again. Oh, it's a pleasure. Listen, the hour flies by when you're here. And, um, of course, it's a, a subject close to my heart. And I think that even for folks that might be new to the opera world, they hear a good, you know, a good conversation and you never know what can happen. So I love having you. Thanks for being with us. Absolutely. You know, it's one of the, one of the joys of my life. Um, people... People will tell me, oh, I really don't like opera. And I say, just give me a chance. Just give me a chance. And, uh, and you know, in five minutes, I've converted. So Absolutely. it's this great uh, evangelism for the art form. And you know what? You're a good, you're a good evangelist then. Um, I will say, you know, it's really hard. Folks out there don't really stop to think about this. And maybe it's the New England mentality. Certainly I can, you know, attest to the New Hampshire mentality that when you try to sell an intangible... As such as an art, especially opera, um, it is really hard. It, it can be really challenging. And it sort of has, you have to sort of get the door a little bit open for whomever you're dealing with so that you can let some of that music come out and then we can kick the door open. But it's never an easy sell when you're trying to sell something uh, like an art form and especially opera, which, you know, today is 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 having its own challenges. So um, I right. have to say online, I looked up uh, a couple of days ago uh, your site because I like to stay in touch, and I saw that you have a really interesting and exciting um, bulletin release that came out on your website, and I thought that maybe you'd like to share that with our listeners. I absolutely would love to share with your listeners, but I, I want to just um, go back to a point that, you know, that opera is interesting. And in my, in my years of producing and in talking with patrons and potential uh, opera goers and future opera lovers, um, 
it is always a, an interesting conversation with me because when you talk about opera, you're talking about the grandiose, right? You're talking mm-hmm. about the, the big stories and the big emotions and all these things. But we love the Game of Thrones. You know, <laughs> we <trying>. love <laughs> our pop culture. We love, uh, you know, these bigger-than-life soap operas, mm-hmm. right? We love these things. So my, my question internally is always, what separates it? Mm-hmm. What separates the opera from these other forms of pop culture? And really, I think it's the language. I think that that's one of the things that really kind of scares people. Yeah. Because these, you know, these things were written, you know, were, I mean, they're written today as well, but they, you know, the, the, the main, you know, war horses of the industry were written a hundred and... 200 years ago. And I think that, that a lot of people think that there's a disconnect between the operas of yesteryear and the situations that we find ourselves in today. Mm-hmm. But all of these are just unrequited love. You know, sure. you're dealing with these, all of these, these human emotions that mm-hmm. still exist today. And so it's interesting because I think that one of the things that, that we as arts lovers can do to kind of reduce the stigma, maybe, is to, is to tell people, no, it's not that inaccessible. You know, no, mm-hmm. it's not that hard to understand. No, it's not that hard to, you know, to grasp. Mm-hmm. And, and that does segue into my announcement. It certainly <laughs> um, does, be, yes. Because, you know, we, um, you know, I'm our artistic director of Barn Opera, founder of Barn Opera in Brandon, Vermont, and uh, we have been incredibly fortunate to enjoy, you know, full houses, uh, even during the pandemic. I mean, we took a lot of precautions, but sure. we've just continued to grow. And, um, and some of the feedback that I get from our neighbors across the state is, you know, we've read the reviews, we've seen your stuff, we really want to come and be a part of what you're doing here for the art form and just culturally within the state and the region. But unfortunately, it's too geographically far away for us to do. Mm-hmm. When can you come to us? And it's an interesting conundrum because could we take a production and then travel and do a run-out show like I've done as a singer in multiple <laughs> venues um, around the country? Yeah, sure we could. Uh-huh. But what, as it, my experience has been that those run-out shows actually don't give the same effect. It's almost like an afterthought. It's a truncated version of the show. It doesn't have all of the bells and whistles. It's just almost like just throwing a bone. That doesn't mean it's not good and it's not no, an I acceptable understand. way to do things. But I, w- I, I was hesitant to do that with one of our shows because our location is so beautiful and is so, has so much character. And just the, the barn itself which is converted into this 100-seat theater, is like a character in every opera. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, and so to take it out of that, does it lose something? I don't know. But I've been thinking about this for quite a while, and I said, well, we're not going to be able to do runouts, but if we partnered with other theatrical venues across the state and turned the paradigm from the state opera company being housed in the most populous area of the state 
and instead changed the narrative to bringing opera to the people where the people are, mm-hmm. then for me, that becomes a state opera. Mm-hmm. So we are in the process of evolving and creating Opera Vermont, mm-hmm. which will be part. So we, we are partnering with the Highland Center for the Arts in Greensboro, Vermont, which is in the Northeast Kingdom, very, very far north. Um, and the Manchester, in Manchester, Vermont, uh, the Southern Vermont Arts Center. These are both fantastic venues. In Greensboro, the Highland Center for the Arts is the state-of-the-art theater. Um, it's got 300 seats, really fantastic. It's actually designed like the Globe Theater. Cool. Um, and there's been no opera. This is just an interesting tidbit. There's been no opera in this theater since 2018 when uh, the Opera Company of Middlebury in Vermont did a run-out show in that space mm-hmm. in which I was the Nemorino. I was the, <laughs> I was the lead tenor in that. So since that time, and I was not even living in Vermont at the time. So this, this just tells you it's been a while. Yeah, it's a um, circle, right? It is a circle. And so, you know, these organizations, um, the executive directors of, um, you know, Keisha at, at Highland Center and Anne at Southern Vermont Arts Center, um, I sent an email to, you know, to a few handpicked artistic directors and executive directors in, uh, in the area. And these, these two wonderful women wrote back and were like, yes, let's do it. So for 2024, we are partnering with them and we are establishing and putting full productions in each of those locations. Great. With orchestra, full set, costume, the whole thing. Um, in both of those locations, as well as at the barn. So in a car from the northernmost point, from Highland Center all the way down to Manchester, it's four and a half hours, which means that everyone in the state can actually see live opera in 2024 within an hour drive. That's an awesome thing. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come up on the other side and discuss more about Opera Vermont and and what's coming up. WKXL New Hampshire Talk Radio. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Art for Living here. Jane Cormier, your host. WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM, Concord, and 101.9 FM in Manchester. So we have a wonderful uh, segment today. We are speaking with Josh Collier from the Barn Opera, or soon to be, or maybe has happened, Opera Vermont. And uh, if you're just joining us in the last segment, Josh was explaining how Opera Vermont has come to be. And, um, you know, Josh, in your discussion about bringing uh, opera throughout Vermont in strategically placed venues, um, that's really that's really great. I mean, for our listeners um, to understand, when you talk run out, and that is usually how uh, smaller companies or B companies uh, will work, they'll t- take a production and maybe tour the production. Um, and that that tour is really great. But it, like you said, it doesn't offer a full range of working within the community to develop the art form in a, in a full sense. I mean, it's an entertainment, but it's different than when you actually have 
a, an established venue with which to work constantly and continually with the art form. So um, I certainly do understand what you're talking about with now you're, you're in Greensboro, which is, I guess, northern Vermont and Manchester. And of course, you'll be staying in Brandon, correct? Absolutely. Opera Vermont and, and the, the Barn Opera House, which is the theater, will continue to be housed in Brandon. It's the same artistic team. It's the same everything. Mm-hmm. We just are growing beyond just the barn. Mm-hmm. So to limit the name to just Barn Opera doesn't really encompass the entire state. So we're kind of in a growth pattern of exactly what that means because it's the same people. It's the same, you know, interesting productions that people have gotten used to when they see a production that I've directed mm-hmm. or that I've conceived. You know, um, but I wanted to make sure that the entirety of the state knew that they were invited to the family mm-hmm. of opera within the state. And to know that that's where they would go to be able to be participatory. Correct. Uh, you know, very important. All right. So, And I'm sorry for the jargon with, with run out. I, I didn't think about that. No, that's okay. So thank you for, uh, for clarifying. <laughs> that's all right. I just wanted to make sure because, um, you know, there is so much jargon and it's not just in opera. It's in, you know, the performing arts in general. And there's no reason why someone who's listening should know that jargon. And it's just Absolutely. as easy to, you know... F- to put it out there. So that's great. Um, you know, on a serious note, because I have a serious person here on the line with me, with you, Josh, um, you're in the very, you're a youngin, right? You're on the early, <laughs> uh, the early, the early stage of, of this whole thing. And I'm certainly on the latter, the other end, right? Cause I'm an older person. <laughs> and, um, you know, in, when I was active and studying and young, you know, just starting out, it was the late 80s and the early 90s, which at that time was was a rather flourishing period when we look back now Correct. with with regard to opera companies in this country. And um, especially in the late 80s, 89, 88, 89, uh, the A companies, well, at least I know the Metropolitan Opera was really starting to think that they were going to be able to do more. Uh, than what they had been doing, which was an occasional production that they would bring to Boston. Um, they had an in-school program that w- they were trying to get into school systems from California to Massachusetts. And, um, you know, that was like a multi, multi-million dollar push to try to do that program. And sadly, none of it really came to fruition. I'm certain that some people benefited from it. Um, for someone that's been you know, watching this, been in it a little bit, and then watching from the outside. I think that the efforts that you're doing are really Herculean efforts, first of all, and, mm-hmm. and it's to be commended that people will uh, take their passion as you have and, and put it into something like opera and watch it grow. Um, but I really, it could be, in my mind, from what I'm seeing, sort of like a copywritten ideal of how any state could take this idea and run with it and grow homegrown opera within their state. I mean, really, that's in essence what you're doing. And you're doing it for more than just educational purposes, but to bring community into the art form rather than just offering the art form outright to folks who are interested. Oh, my goodness, Jane. That is the most... I I am absolutely quoting you on the (laughs) website. I am taking those words because that is exactly my ethos. Mm -hmm. Um, I absolutely hear the the severity 
um, of with the opera industry as it is today. Um, I watch, <laughs> it seems like daily, uh, bad news yes. coming from the industry. And, and I have a kind of unorthodox and possibly unpopular opinion about this. I think that, and, and like you said, the late 80s, early 90s, that was a really flourishing time mm-hmm. for the large companies. Yep. And I think that when you profess to be America's top opera company and you don't hire Americans, that's a problem. And I think that the country has so many opportunities. It's such a huge place that not everyone is going to make it to New York City. New York City is not now anymore, I I think, or is going this way, the the cultural center that it used to be. Mm -hmm. So if that's the case, then why wouldn't these other locations, these other states, these other areas that that don't need the the geographic location of New York, why wouldn't they follow this concept? Absolutely. Why wouldn't they promote their own? And that is what I'm seeing. Okay, but you, I'll answer your question. And it's a sad answer, but I think it's very truthful. And let's face it, we don't fix it until we understand what the problem is. And the reason that is not happening, and I say that's the reason that hasn't happened for the past 20, 25 years, 20 years anyway, um, is because the people that are now affiliated with opera, and I'm talking about what were the B houses in this country, mm-hmm. Glimmer Glass, uh, you know, yeah, all right. the B apprentice houses that had shortened seasons but were feeding houses, uh, if possible, to the big houses, right? Um they have decided there's no money to be made, and they brought in bankers and PR people and publicists who right. knew nothing about the art form, right, who usually got pretty good salaries, and they stifled and ruined the yeah. opera in this country. And if you go out today and you look at any of the apprentice programs that probably even you participated or, or mm-hmm. saw, you know, yeah. in, in your early years here— there, there were, Josh, like three companies mm. this year okay, that had more than one production. Can you imagine that as an apprentice program? No. Like, no. What, if we don't wake up and start smelling the bacon, we're going to lose the art form so totally in this country that we won't get it back. So what is left is for the people that love it and that appreciate it and know it like yourself, that's why these. That's why this is so important. That's yeah. how we're going to save it. And if people need to, they want to lose it, you can lose it. But if people want to save it, they can save it. Yeah, I mean, it's a really sobering concept, right? I mean, I it just recently, Chautauqua, you yeah. know, to <laughs> see that. And uh, Chautauqua is a summer program mm-hmm. that just, I, using jargon again, uh, it's a summer program that, that a lot of young artists would go to. And now the entire opera program that's been around, I think, like 60 years yeah. or something, like a long, long time. time. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's the exact number, but it's been a while that, you know, it's now it's now closed. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't go there because both fortunately and unfortunately, I always had gigs in the summer. So I couldn't I couldn't yeah. take the entire summer away. But I had a million friends 
that did. Yeah. And and you're right. But you know, it even goes it even goes further than that, that these young artists at at a lot of these these programs were glorified chorus. They yeah. were not paid well. You know, they weren't they weren't treated as artists and so it became this socioeconomic thing where you had to be able to financially support yourself. Right. 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 To be able to do this. To get to so, the next level. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, because you had to be able to afford to live on $200 a week mm-hmm. or something, you yep. know, something like that. And so a lot of that came from independently wealthy families, which which just by nature of the fact kept the people that were at the lower, you know, economic bracket out of the art form. Mm. And I have, you know, I've been fighting for years to try to, to try to, you know, combat that. that. Yeah. But, you know, but I think that you're exactly right. The fact that people in positions of power that do not know the art form, that do not understand what the cultural relevance is of mm. the art form, are in positions of casting and programming. Correct. And they are afraid of this. And and I think it's really problematic. And so, you know, that's why I, I, I have heard, and obviously I can't be so immodest as to say, but I have heard that it is refreshing for the artists that come to work with me and with us because Absolutely. I do know. You know it and, and they know it. All right, we're going to take a quick break. WKXL, NewHampshireTalkRadio.com. We'll be right back. Hello again, here on WKXL, NewHampshireTalkRadio.com. WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM Concord, and 101.9 FM in Manchester. Today we have our guest, Josh Collier, from Opera Vermont, formerly the Barn Opera. And we're talking all things opera. And uh, we've been having some passionate discussion the first couple segments about, uh, well, about the status of the art form here in America. And um, for those of you just joining us, we were talking about the fact that this Opera Vermont um, release that that uh, Barn Opera put out recently, which you guys can read if you go to, is it barnopera.org? You can go to either barnopera.com or operavermont.com. It's, oh, beautiful. it's all there. Awesome. So you, you can get all the information right there. And uh, very worthy. And I think if people are smart, they'll pay attention because um, there is a, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, like an outline, uh, like a, um, there's a word that I'm missing. But what you're actually offering is an ideal that many states could put into effect uh, if they had people that really love the art form and perhaps end up saving it. So <laughs> congratulations to you for, for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm not looking to franchise, but franchise, I do think yes. that if... <laughs> Hey, don't do say that. Think... Don't say no to anything. <laughs> no, I guess that's fair. I guess that's fair. Maybe I do need to be a little more pragmatic rather than, than artistic. But <laughs> but I um not that the two are mutually exclusive, but you know, but I do think that that the that the importance of supporting our own, supporting not in an exclusionary way. Oh, I understand. But, you know, but supporting our own within the state, supporting our own within the country, I think that's really important. And and, you know, when I say that, I don't want to sound nationalistic. That's not the point. But the point is that in so many of these organizations, like, my experience in Vermont has been um, 
I have, I have brought up a, a name, like a really well-known in the opera community, a name to come and to perform here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was lukewarmly received. Uh, and I bring in a new talent that lives in Vermont that just hasn't gotten the opportunity. And I fill houses. Wow. And I think that what happens here is not that the people here are not culturally aware. I don't think that that's the point. Mm-hmm. I think the point is that we all understand, especially New Hampshire, Vermont, Maine, we all understand in this rural area that that the bright lights of New York and Boston, these can really overshadow kind of the stuff that's happening in our little corner of the world. And so when we can support our own and when we can promote our own, I think we as a community can get behind and can support that. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a replicable idea. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And I think that that's an an important facet that perhaps, um, you know, we need to pay more attention to, right? Local is good. And um, local yeah. offers so many opportunities to everybody to participate and and enjoy and grow and do all the good things. You know, uh, let's talk about what's coming up uh, for Bon Opera and Opera Vermont right now. So yeah. what, what are you looking at for productions? So, well, I'm really actually excited about this because, uh, like I said, we're, we're in these two venues that... You know, I've been in talks with them. I've been into these venues a few times. Obviously, I've sung in a couple of them because, well, one, I was I did the performance at Highland Center, but I, you know, just was testing out the acoustics of Southern Vermont. And I'm really excited about being in these venues <laughs> and introducing ourselves to this demographic and to these, this audience that we haven't been able to reach out to. Sure. Um, so in September, actually, is it September already? My goodness. Um, on the 14th of September, we are actually starting our inaugural concert series or tour, whatever. Um, we are performing at both of these locations. We're doing an opera and musical theater pastiche concert and a meet and greet with the artist afterwards to be able to, to welcome, um, you know, to welcome them into our family and to also just show them, hey, this is the kind of really high quality, really fun stuff that is going to happen in your spaces. And that'll be the 14th at, um, at Highland Center and the 15th at, uh, at Southern Vermont Arts Center. Uh, tickets are, are available at both of those locations mm-hmm. or uh, at, at operavermont.com. There's a, there's a link under events. Right. Um, and so we're really, you know, I'm excited about, about those those events, but that's just the announcement of our 2024 season, sure. um, which is which is great. And the way that we've worked it is that the tickets for the shows that are happening in these locations in Highland Center and in Southern Vermont Arts Center will be available for the shows that are happening there in 2024 on the night of the concert. Mm, so good. what that means is it gives the opportunity for the people who are there on the 14th and the 15th to be the first to buy tickets mm-hmm. for our concerts or for our productions in 2024, which in February of 2024 uh, at the Highland Center for the Arts, we are going to be um, performing in honor. Well, we're going to be performing Puccini's Tosca. Ooh, beautiful. Um, 
And, uh, and the reason, well, one of the reasons why that is, is because um, Giacomo Puccini uh, died in 1924, hmm. um, which means that 2024 is the centennial, is yeah. the centennial of his, of his death. Mm-hmm. And so we are going to join opera companies and symphonies around the world in celebrating um, the, the, the wonderful music of Puccini with this, with this performance. Um, incredible uh, soprano Sonia Krenick is going to come. Um, she performed with us in our first season, uh, Barn Opera's first season, and she's coming back for um, for the first time since, which is Beautiful. magnificent. Good. Um, then in May, uh, we are going to be performing Verdi's Rigoletto uh, at the Southern Vermont Arts Center. That will be uh, that is going to be a spectacular show. Um, Rigoletto has not been done in the region. Yeah, uh, it is a hallmark. It is it is corner of operatic repertory. Sure. Um, for and a tour de force for baritone, tenor, and soprano. And we are incredibly fortunate to have uh, soprano Sheila Cristiano, who is uh, an Italian um, an Italian soprano who uh, is our voice teacher for Opera al Mare, our, our, our summer program that we spoke about last time, actually. Yes, absolutely. Um, she has never been to the United States. Oh, my and, goodness, really? Um, and, and wants to, and, but, but she's singing Gilda, which is the soprano in, in Rigoletto, all over Europe, all mm-hmm. over Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, she was invited to sing Gilda at the um, Pavarotti Freni, by the Pavarotti Freni Foundation, that's Luciano Pavarotti and Mirella Freni uh, Foundation in Modena. So she's magnificent, and she is. She wants to make her American debut with us. Oh, isn't that nice? So she will be coming, and she will be performing her signature role of Gilda with us uh, in May, which is just so exciting. Very good. Uh, then in September of 2024, we're going to do a um, a concert of all Puccini's music. So Puccini's operas generally are huge. They have big casts and big choruses and big orchestras and big singing and and it's just the typical the style of, of of his writing. And a lot of it we're not able to do these giant shows in these you know small regional <laughs> theaters. Yeah. Um, so in order to to commemorate, we're going to do pieces from uh, from all of the Puccini operas. Oh. We'll do at least one piece from every Puccini opera, and there will be a world premiere um, piece from an opera about Puccini, oh, uh, which cool. is really really cool. So that'll be in September of 2024, and that will happen at the Barn Opera House in Brandon. Mm-hmm. And then in November, we have an actual world premiere of, um, of an opera called Truman and Nancy by Z- Bill Zephyro, who is in, uh, who's in New York. It's based on a, um, on a graphic novel by Marvel comic Andy Parks um, called um, Capote in Kansas, as in Truman Capote. Um, it is a fictionalized version of the creation of Truman Capote's In Cold Blood. Mm, and nice. the fictionalized version is that the supposition that Capote enters the house of the Clutter family um, and encounters the ghost of Nancy Clutter, who was 
the young girl who was mm. unfortunately, you know, murdered. Yeah. Um, they have conversations, and it's a real introspective piece. Oh and goodness. the music is fantastic. It's so it's just really, really wonderful. And my favorite part about this is that Capote went to the Clutter House in order to be famous, in order to achieve stardom by writing about You know this, what, Josh, you let know. me stop you here because this sounds like it's a really interesting topic and I don't want to oh, rush sure. it. We're up, up against a break here for our sponsors. So we're going to take a small break. Then when we come back, let's let's go right at that In Cold Blood production you're talking about that's interesting. WKXL 1450 AM, 103.9 FM Concord and 101.9 FM in Manchester. Hang tight, folks. We will be right back. Welcome back, everyone. Jane Cormier here, your host for WKXL Artful Living, NewHampshireTalkRadio.com. WKXL 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in Concord, and of course 101.9 FM in Manchester. We have as a guest today Josh Collier, who is with and who has founded Barn Opera and now Opera Vermont. And in the last segment, we started a conversation about something that I find fascinating and Our listeners probably will as well. In fact, I find that whenever we talk about a new opera, a contemporary opera, we can hook folks that maybe wouldn't like to go see the the older operas but want to see something new and innovative. So I didn't want to go too quickly with what you were saying about your premiere. So um, why don't you tell us again, you have a premiere coming up next year, and um, it's it's your production, correct? Correct. Correct. Yes, it's it's our production. It it was workshopped um, at a at a summer uh, a summer program uh, mm. with students, but but we'll be giving the world premiere. Wow! How awesome. Okay, so tell our audience again a little bit about that. And um, you were talking when we when we when I stopped you before you were talking about um, I forget the aspect. You were talking about something that I wanted to to listen to. So yeah, rewind, absolutely. rewind. So- no, I'll rewind. I'll rewind. So what's what's re- <laughs> what's really exciting about about this piece? And and I just I, I, again I keep wanting to jump back and and comment on what you're saying. I completely agree. You know there are there are people for which Tosca and Rigoletto and these war horses of the industry are phenomenal pieces, and they will go and hear you know Visidarte every time that they can. <laughs> but then there are some people who for whom it's just okay. This is been around for 200 years and I'm all set. Right. Um, bring something new. And so in my programming and as artistic director, it is a passion of mine to make sure that at least once a year, there is a world premiere that happens at Opera Vermont. Great. Um, in fact, we've, we've scheduled, we have scheduled through 2027 um, a world premiere happening every year. But this coming year, which is uh, in 2024, is called Truman and Nancy. And it is, uh, it is a fictionalized account of um, <laughs> Truman Capote uh, and the creation of In Cold Blood. And the supposition is that, that when Truman Capote go, uh, goes to the Clutter family house, he encounters the ghost of Nancy Clutter. And they have this really beautiful conversation, um, which is interesting considering the horror that Nancy Clutter experienced. Right. Um, 
one of the, I think what I was saying um, right before the break was one of my favorite things about this is the journey that Truman Capote goes on in this, in this accounting. Mm-hmm. Um, he enters the story, he enters the, the town, he enters the clutter house, expecting for this story to make him famous on the East Coast. And what, after this conversation, where he's talking about how, you know, the, the, the difficult relationship with his mother, mm-hmm. and Nancy Clutter talks about how wonderful her mother was, <laughs> and they have this real connection to the point where, nearing the end of the opera, Truman says, I don't think I can write this book. It's too personal. <laughs> you know, it, it's too... It's too intimate. Mm-hmm. And Nancy Clutter says, no, you must. Because mm-hmm. even though we're gone, if you, when you write your book, everyone after us will still remember. Wow. And wow. so the idea of legacy and what it takes and, and the human connection that, that happens throughout is really... Um, really explored Mm -hmm. in this piece in the backdrop and on the canvas of phenomenally beautiful music. It's phenomenal. It's lyrical music. There's jazz (laughs) influence. It's just, it's this wonderful, wonderful piece. Um, And uh, I was, uh, I was put in touch with, with, with Bill and he, he sent me the piece and I, I fell in love with it to the point where where I'm going to try really hard to not want to sing it myself. Yeah, um, that's part of it, the pitfall. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, it's too much work to direct and produce all this stuff and then to sing. Yeah. But but dang it, Jane, there's some music that is just so good that, you know, um, but obviously, you know, I'm looking for, you know, always looking for artists that are willing to, to jump into these pieces and to and to play and and this is just one uh, this is just the 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 world premiere that we have coming in 2024. Mm-hmm. I mean in subsequent years just as a little teaser there's a steampunk opera coming like actual like oh, really cool you know stuff so so a lot of the stuff that I'm looking at and that I'm trying to promote every composer and every librettist is living. Mm. All of the music, obviously, these are it's brand new. So the sonorities are things that you won't have heard before, and that's so exciting. Mm-hmm. And you know, to be able to be a part of that is is equally as rewarding as promoting these giant megalithic Absolutely. pieces. And you know what? You can do both. I don't know why Absolutely. people cannot. You know why some people are just like, oh, you know, I don't like the old fashioned. And then they're right. like, oh, I don't like the new. But you know what? There's plenty of space for all of it. And it has its place. Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, I mean, we were talking about about the, the, the big, big old opera in New York. Um, and, you know, if you if you look at what their highest selling, their, their largest houses in the entire season, it was Porgy and Bess. Mm-hmm. And fire shut up my bones. Yeah. I know. You know? I know it. It's true. It's true. The, the, the demographic is changing. And that's, that's what we need to meet. 
Um, right. You know, but at the same time, I'm in, I'm old enough to know that these other pieces that people sometimes poo-poo have lasted centuries for a reason. Oh, without question. And we don't have to apologize for them. Um, no, you absolutely know, not. But absolutely, we need to be innovative and move forward and not use that as um, anything but a, a springboard for the entire range of opera, you know? It's all right. Good. Well, it's interesting because, you know, there's a, the, uh, you know, to your point of, you know, the, the, the looking to shelve these operas because they're, they're not, um, uh, they don't conform with, with contemporary norms, let's say. Yes. Um, they, they are Orientalist mm-hmm. um, in, in, the, in the sense, or, you know, I, I performed um, Lachme, uh, which has some of the most beautiful music, it just from, from cover to cover. Yeah. Um, but because of the nature of the story, um, we were actually picketed. And mm-hmm. here's the thing that, that I can speak kind of out of both sides of my mouth here. I understand why it was picketed. <laughs> you know, I understand why it's offensive. I understand this. But I don't think we need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. No, we don't. And I it's think through the lens of today. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And so we can recontextualize these pieces. We can recontextualize. And, you know, there's actually a really great uh, colleague of mine on the West Coast that has done very, very similar. Um, he, there's, a, um, there's an opera, The Abduction from the Seraglio by Mozart, which has phenomenal music, but <laughs> is really, really, really problematic. Um, yes, it in is. the depiction of... of, um, of Middle Eastern people. Yes, and harems um, and all that stuff. And Exactly, exactly. Which was, you know, I, I mean, for it the was, time was I, interesting. <laughs> and I understand it. It's a fun what, piece. It's a fun piece. It's, it's lighthearted. Piece. I've sung the piece. And yeah. you know what? It has its... It has its devotees, and nobody knows it because it's the abduction of the Seraglio. But there That's are right. Mozart folk that would die on that hill because it was supposed to be a comedy. Totally. <laughs> well, and this was, and so what, what this company did was cre- they said, okay, we can take the entire thing. We can have all the comedy. We can have all of the, the otherness that is, that exists in the mm-hmm. piece and we can make it Star Trek. There you go. So, all right. so they did, they made, they made it just alien and it worked beautifully and it was <laughs> wildly successful. Yeah, I'll bet it would work. That's a good idea. It was a great idea, yeah. you know, and so, you know, and so, so this is like, it's like, come on, folks, we don't have to defend <laughs> Aida in blackface. I know it. I know it. You it's know, crazy, we don't have it? to allow, it's just, it's crazy. We don't have to, we don't have to defend that. We can just recontextualize. Yes. And ultimately, you know, that, that is kind of my crusade is to say, hey, let me look at these masterworks of the operatic literature through a 21st century lens. <laughs> because if they are all like archetypal characters and all, all you know, um, situations that, well, we hope that we don't find ourselves in, but if they yes. are all that, then we can find connections to our daily lives. Absolutely. It's all human. It's all human. And we don't have to, you know, throw it into one column or another. It can actually embrace everything that we're looking to do. Absolutely. Listen, Josh, thank you so much for being with us today. Barnopera.com or Opera Vermont, if you're looking for information. Uh, exciting news. And we're going to have you back. We want you to come back more than a little bit because we think what you're doing is very important. Thanks for your time. 
Thank you so much, Jane. And thank you so much to all your listeners for being um, supportive of live opera. Yes, absolutely. WKXL 1450 AM, 103.9 FM Concord, and 101.9 FM in Manchester. Jane Cormier signing off here at Artful Living, and we'll see you next time.